wonderful, wonderful. My wife, uh, my wife and I are never separated. And when I say never, with a big N, we only have one vehicle, we only own one car, and we're together 24-7. Well, I, I hold, uh, last year I had uh, over 50, 52 meetings last year, and we're on the schedule to do at least that this year. And I tell preachers everywhere I go, if Rhonda don't come, I don't come. And that's just the way it is. And that, she goes with me everywhere I go. And most of those churches are paying two airline tickets. And uh, so, but I still, if Rhonda don't come, I don't come. That's the way it is. So we, we go together. Uh, all the, I was married 30, uh, 39 years to a wonderful Christian lady. And most all of those 39 years, I would travel in evangelism on Monday and Tuesday. I'd fly out on Monday, fly back on Wednesday, uh, and pastor a church the rest of the week. And my wife rarely got to go with me uh, because she was uh, tending to seven children at home and uh, she was um, uh, keeping a 10-acre, we had a little 10-acre farm and all that's to go on there, and there was a whole lot going on there. She had to take care of that. And then she had her duties at the church and all that she was involved in. And so once in a while she would go with me on these uh, trips, but rarely. My wife, and of course she died with cancer uh, some years ago, and now my wife Rhonda, uh, she and her husband were in evangelism the last 28 years of his life, and he would travel all the time. She rarely got to go with him. She was teaching in a Christian school. She was raising three children at home and uh, uh, had more duties than you got time to listen to and uh, get up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning and get home at 9.30 at night. She had... Um, she did everything. She had music groups, and she had, uh, they had to hire her to take care of four people to take her place when I married her from the uh, Capital City Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. And uh, so, but she rarely went with her husband. Now, both of us are enjoying a life we've never, ever had before. And quite frankly, I feel lost tonight because she's not with me. And uh, I mean, we're five minutes from the grocery store, and commonly she'll say, I'm going to run to the grocery store. I'll say, hey, I'll go with you. And, you know, we look at each other and we'll say, we're nuts. We're totally nuts. You know, we're together 24-7. We never run out of something to say. We never run out of something to talk about. We never get tired of each other's presence. We have a royal ball all the time. And I mean, listen, we're, we're as in love as two love bugs that ever was in this world. I cannot get over her. I can't quit talking about her. I can't quit looking at her. I can't quit touching her. I just can't, I just can't quit wanting to be around her, and uh, that's the way it is. And we are just totally smitten one with the other. Uh, I was, um, uh, I was, we stopped for an arrest area, and a lady walked across four acres to say, I just wanted to come over here and let you know how much it means to see two people uh, in love with each other like you are. And I mean, we're not, we're not uh, spring chickens. I mean, we're both in our 70s. I'm, she's 73, I'm 76. And it's as real and exciting to us as it's ever been in our lives. We are enjoying and taking as much from the wells of marriage as we ever did in our life. And both of us had good marriages in the first time around. And so we're just having the time of our life. And uh, I, I just cannot tell you. I got on a plane and uh, the lady said, how are you? I said. I'm as happy as a raccoon in the cornfield with the hound dogs tied. She said, whoa. I said, would you like to know why I'm so happy? 
She said, yeah. I said, I'm so happy because number one, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Number two, I'm extremely in love with this woman standing right in front. And you could hear the ladies, especially in first class, going, oh, oh, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I could tell you stories till tomorrow, but we are on the honeymoon. Uh, we are not nearly deads, we're newlyweds, and that's the way it is. And uh, we're not near as bad as one couple. Uh, they went to get married. By the way, let me tell you why she's not here tonight. Uh, 6.15 this morning, my son, who is my pastor, uh, uh, called me and said, Dad, we're on our way to the hospital. Just pray we make it. It's getting serious, and it's getting serious fast. That baby was born 15 minutes after the wheel stopped rolling at Mercy Hospital, and that was 37 miles away. That's as close as you want to cut it. And uh, it came over some icy roads this morning. And uh, so anyway, he's, he's hung there at the hospital, the children at home. Um, Steve and Benita Epley, who is Joseph's mother and father-in-law, Benita's mom and dad, uh, they had a meeting tonight in Illinois, Peoria, Illinois. So they came up last night when, when she went into deep labor and, and stayed there. Then they stayed today and then Rhonda, she had to leave this morning after the service and take my car, and she drove to the hospital and visited uh, their uh, charity and the baby. Then she took uh, the, the seven children they've already got, you know, the oldest one, 12. Already got seven, the oldest one, 12. Now this is number eight that she had this morning. And she took them home uh, to their house, and uh, I'm stranded up here without a car, but I think the preachers volunteered to get me to the hospital in Iowa City, and then uh, Joseph is going to get me home and then come back, spend the night with his wife there at the hospital. But uh, mother and baby are doing fine. The father's doing as usual, and that's the way it is. But, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I are not near as bad as one couple. Uh, they uh, uh, got married and uh, been married for over 50 years. And uh, they got ready to <coughs> retire one evening, and... Uh, they went in the bedroom, and uh, the, the man went over and sat down in the chair at the end of the bed, very exhausted. They'd had a long day, and he was trying to muster enough courage to get up and get ready to go to the bed. By the way, you know you're getting old when you say to each other, let's get ready to go to bed. Uh, we didn't used to get ready to go to bed. We just went to bed. Now we got to get ready to go to bed. But anyway, he sat down in the chair. And he was so tired, and she walked over, and she stood by the dresser, and uh, she opened the dresser drawer, and she took her necklace off and put it in the drawer. Then she took her bracelet off and put it in the drawer. Then she took her watch off, and she put it in the drawer. And then she took her rings off and put them in the drawer. And then she reached up and took her glasses off and put them in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her upper dentures out and placed them in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her lower dentures out and placed them in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her left hearing aid out and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her right hearing aid out and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached up and took her wig off and placed it in the drawer. Then she reached down and unscrewed her left leg and placed it neatly in the drawer. And because she only had one leg to stand on, she just fell like a crashing tree over in the bed. And when she did, she looked at her husband. He was still st sitting there staring at her this way. She said, would you mind telling me why you're staring at me that way? He said, oh, I'll tell you. I'm just sitting here trying to figure out whether I'm supposed to get in the bed or get in the drawer. I don't know which, you know, which place I belong in. About as much of that woman in one place as it was the other. 
And, uh, but my wife and I have not come to that state of affairs yet, but I'm a fish out of water tonight without her. Uh, but uh, we'll get right into the message. Uh, there's a message here for everybody tonight. Now, this message is going to take a little while. Pastor said that we're not on a time limit tonight. We were this morning, but not tonight. And uh, by the way, I want to pause and thank you for having me, and I've been treated royalty today. You took my wife and I both uh, to a wonderful restaurant, and we enjoyed a meal today, a very, very good meal at a good restaurant. And then she had to take off, and then the uh, pastor and his wife, they had to make a funeral home visit this afternoon, and uh, they let me stay in their guest room at the house, and man, I enjoyed that. I got a little bit of rest, and I want to thank you. And I I, I wish I could get to know all of you better, but praise the Lord. Many, many of you come, have come since the last time I was here, and uh, it is so good to see you. you got a wonderful pastor. He didn't blow in, blow up, and blow out. He's been here a while, and he's a seasoned man, and I've known him a lot of years before you know, knew him, before many of you knew him, and he is on the rock. He is solid. He's a solid man, and I thank the Lord for that. But um, here's a message. I'm open to Ephesians 5, if you'll turn in your Bibles as quickly as you can, and I'll get right into the message. It's 630. Uh, we were on a time frame this morning. We are not on a time frame tonight. And um, this message is going to take a while. <clears throat> but um, what I'm going to do is something unusual tonight. Uh, and by the way, uh, it, it, it's something unusual. Um, it takes a while to preach this sermon. And I'm going to give you, and I'm not joking now, if you know me, if you've ever heard this sermon before, you know I'm not joking. My wife will tell you he's not kidding. I'm going to give you the privilege to end the sermon anytime you want to. Here's the way you do it. I've been preaching going on 60 years. I know when a congregation's had enough. I can tell. Oh, you'll be nice. You'll sit there, but you're, you're done. And, and I know when I get dismissed. Uh, I can keep preaching, but you're done. And when you get done, I won't do you a lot of good. And so I can tell when you're done. And uh, you don't have to announce it. You don't have to shake your watch at me. You don't have to stand up and yawn. And, you, know, you don't have to do that. I know when you're done. And when you get done, I'll quit. Something else about <laughs> I've known a lot of preachers got done and didn't quit. But anyway, uh, let me tell you this. Also, uh, I want you to know this. Um, if you have to leave and be somewhere at a certain time, you get up and leave, we will not judge you. Uh, we, I've seen people get up right on a strong point, and I thought, boy, I made that guy mad. And, and after service, he'd meet me in the hall and say, by the I had to run out, I had to tend to something, but boy, it was a great sermon. I, I hate I had to miss that part of it. And so you can't tell. When people get up, that don't mean they're mad. Sometimes it happens, but rarely it does. And uh, so anyway, I'm open to Ephesians 5. And um, I'm going to uh, read a few verses, and I'm going to teach you tonight, and then I'm going to preach to you. And again, all you have to do is start wiggling, uh, all of you. Now, if uh, one or two starts wiggling, they could have a hernia or something. You don't know, so I don't go by that. But I'm talking about uh, the congregation, okay? And so here we go. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, something here in the message for everybody. By the way, it seemed like years ago I preached this here, but if I did, most of you haven't heard it. And number two, I changed it so much that, uh, that there'll be uh, so much new stuff in it 
that uh, I believe you will enjoy it. Uh, it. There's something here for everybody. Somebody was riding a horse down through Kentucky years ago, and they came to a sign that said, horse riding stable. You may rent a horse to ride here. Say, you may rent a horse by the hour. You may rent a horse by the three hours. And, uh, and this, what it said right on the side, it said, we have a horse for everybody. We have old horses for older people. We have younger horses for younger people. We have fast horses for fast people and slow horses for slow people. And for those that have never ridden horses before, we have horses that have never been ridden before. I mean, we just got a horse for everybody. And so there's something here for everybody tonight. Everybody stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. I'm open now to Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Uh, is my microphone on here? Okay, we, uh, now we're better. Thank you, thank you. All right, is that too loud? Okay, are you sure? If it's too loud, you can... Uh, uh, Put your fingers in your ears. I get that message too. All right. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Now follow with me carefully. And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here's a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be some evidences of the Spirit-filled life that you will have. There are many of them, more of them than I've got time to refer to tonight, but three of them in order are given here in this passage that I'll point out to you. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that will be true in your life is a grateful heart, verse number 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever else in this world you are, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're going to be thankful. You're going to have a grateful heart. Number two, um, uh, verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Whatever else in this world you are, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be a happy camper. I mean, you are. And your circumstances won't dictate your joy. Your inner joy uh, and spirit fullness will dictate how happy you are. Like Paul and Silas with their backs beaten and bleeding in stocks waiting to die the next morning. They prayed and sang praises to God at midnight. Your joy is not regulated by your happenings. Your joy is regulated by the spirit, inner, inner dwelling spirit of the child of God. So there's two of them, gratitude and joy. The third one is verse 21, submission. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We live in a rare day of secular humanism when you are taught that you are the center of your world. Everything should revolve around you. Every commercial you see says that. Get the product you deserve. Get the service you deserve. It's all about you. It's all about number one. It's all about me. And the world is to revolve around me. We that are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit know that's not true. The world does not revolve around us, but instead we revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. We see him high and exalted and lifted up. Our life revolves around him. He's the centerpiece of our life. If we're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is the big thing, he's the big happening, he's the centerpiece, he's everything to us, and everything we do think or say 
is, 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 uh, points to him, to glorify him. And when we have our eyes on each other, uh, 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 we have a reason to have pride and not get along with each other and have divisions and we can't submit to each other. But when we have our eyes on the Lord, we see ourselves as little peons. And when we see ourselves as small, we don't have any problem submitting ourselves the one to the other. So submission is a rare commodity in today's world. But now watch this. Immediately after he says submitting, and don't mind standing there for a little while, I'm much older than the average of you, and I'm going to be standing up a long time after you sit down. You can rest assured. But, um, but, but listen to this. Immediately after he says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, he gives four relationships that we're to submit ourselves the one to the other in. Now this is going to get interesting after a while. I'm teaching you a little bit. And stay with me now. Buckle your seatbelt and hang on. We're going for a ride here. All right. Number one uh, is the husband and wife relationship. When it says in verse number 20, uh, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, it starts in verse number 22 and goes through the rest of the chapter saying, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Talks to them for about three verses. Then it says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So he talks about the husband and wife relationship for the rest of the chapters. Then in chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it talks about the parent-child relationship. Then in chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, it talks about the servant-master relationship or the employer-employee relationship. And then starting in verse number 10 and finishing the chapter, it talks about the God-child-of-God relationship. Now, the one thing that you'll be surprised to learn, <clears throat> it's not the main thing I'm going to preach on tonight, but the one thing you'll be surprised to not learn is in each one of these four relationships that comes as a result of being filled with the Spirit, these submission relationships, everybody is to submit to everybody. We love to preach sometime how wives are to submit to their husbands, verse 22, and that is true. Uh, but then he talks to the husbands, verse 25, and tells the husbands to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that is a whole lot of love, and that's a whole lot of submission. Jesus Christ, our heavenly bridegroom, submitted himself to the death of the cross and shed his blood for his bride. That's a whole lot of submission. No wonder he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Submission in the sense that the woman's going to run the home and boss the man and tell the man what to do, and the woman will be the head. No, 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 we know too much Bible for that, but submission all the more. And then, so the wife is to submit to the husband, the husband's to submit to the wife. You get in chapter 6, we love to talk about how children are to obey their parents, and they are. Verse number 1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But then the Bible says in verse number 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When fathers and mothers submit themselves to their children, controlling their own temper and temperament to the point that they can bring up their children in the ways of the Lord. You can believe me after raising seven children, after having five teenagers at one time, you can believe me when I tell you that takes a whole lot of submission. Amen? So the, not only are children to submit to the parents, but the parents are to submit to the children in the, sense, uh, in the sense that we'll let the child be the boss of the home, tell the parents what they're going to do and not do, and, and, and the parents follow the child. Heavens, no. But submission all the more. And then you come to the servant-master relationship, starting in verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them and your masters. We're told that we ought to uh, obey our masters, with, not as men-pleasers, but as from the heart. 
But then it says in verse 9, and ye masters do the same unto them. The boss man is to submit to the employee. Not in the sense the employee is going to set the rules for the workplace and the employee is going to tell the boss when they're going to come in and when they're not going to come in and what they're going to do and what heavens know. We know too much Bible for that, but submission all the more. That boss man, when that, when that employee submits to him, he is told to, to get, out there, get out there and teach them how to work and when they produce for you, give them a raise, submit to your employee. Now, I'm going to, teach, I'm going to show you one thing. It'll be the premise of the message, and then I'm going to have you be seated, and I'm going to preach as long as you want me to, okay? When you get done, I'll quit. And I am not kidding, okay? So now, if this sermon gets long, it is your fault. It's not my fault. It is your fault. Now, just remember what I said, all right? Uh, with that in mind, uh, I'm going to share this uh, truth with you, and then we'll have prayer and be seated. Before I do that, I want to tell you this one last little thing right here. Um, I am not uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something I never ask anybody to do in any other sermon except this one I'm going to ask you to say dear Lord Jesus whatever you show me in that King James Bible tonight I will obey and I'll adjust my life accordingly starting tonight notice what I'm not asking you to do I'm not asking you to even believe what I'm going to preach to you I've heard good preachers that were wrong about things. They didn't mean to be, but they misinterpreted some scripture, and they were wrong. No doubt in my life at times I've been wrong about things. I would never admit it when I had been, but I, I've probably been wrong about things. But I'm not even asking you to believe what I'm going to preach to you tonight. All I'm asking you to say is, dear Lord Jesus, if it's clear, and I see it in that King James Bible, I will obey, and I'll adjust my life accordingly starting tonight. And if you listen to me carefully, you're going to get this. There's another thing that I'm not asking you to do. I'm not asking you to get everything settled tonight. For some of you, you can't. You're two and three generations getting to where you are, and you're not going to fix it just because you cry a bucket of tears at the altar. But you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to set out to do it tonight. I'm going to start on this journey. I'm going to set out to do it tonight. And dear Lord, you help me. And uh, uh, so, uh, dear Lord Jesus, whatever you show me clearly in the King James Bible, I will obey, and I'll adjust my life accordingly starting tonight. May not get it all fixed tonight, but I'm going to start tonight. Now, I want to ask you a question, and then we're going to pray. How many of you would say, well, Pastor Brown, any common sense Christian that believes to be halfway right with God ought to agree to that much. How many agrees that's a common sense thing to ask a child of God to do? Raise your hand. Hold it up. Get it up high. Get it up high. Get it up high if you agree. Take your hands down. Since you agree, let's do it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll bless us now. I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll teach us from the Word of God what you want us to see. Uh, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. And bless us now as we preach this message. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Now, follow me carefully. I, I, I'll make you a promise. It takes a while to preach this sermon if you, if you listen to the whole sermon, if you let me finish the sermon. It takes a while to preach this sermon, but now you stay with me and don't lose me. We're going to throw away the cob tonight. We're going to keep the corn. I'm not going to be wasting your time. I'm not going to be at all. Uh, I'm going to stay right with the, with the thing, and we're going to plow deep and get done and move through the message. Uh, <clears throat> not only, here's the truth that will change your life. It's a bombshell. Not only does the Bible say that the... Uh, 
wife should submit to the husband, the husband submit to the wife. The, the children should submit to the parents, but the parents submit to the children. The employee is to submit to the employer, but the employer then is to submit to the employee. Not only does the Bible tell us we're to submit to God, but I say this reverently and biblically, the Bible says that Jesus will submit to us. He, does, he wants to become your servant. Jesus took a towel and knelt down and he washed the disciples' feet and he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He came to be your servant and he will become your servant if he can be. And I'm going to tell you tonight how he can be because submission causes submission. But not only... Uh, does the wife submit to the husband, husband to the wife? Not only do the children submit to the parents, the parents to the children. Not only does the employee submit to the employer, but the employer submits back to the employee. Not only do we submit to God, God submit to us. But in every case, in every place where these relationships are discussed, the subordinate always submits first, and God tells them to. Then he tells the authority to submit back to the employee. For instance, in our text, and I'm going to just allude to it now. You just read it. In our text, now it says, um, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The wife is a subordinate. Then it says, husbands, uh, love your wives or submit back to your wife. The husband is the authority. Do you see which one he spoke to first? He always speaks to the subordinate. Then when you get to the children, it said, children, uh, uh, you submit to your parents. He spoke to the children first. And then it says, parents, you submit back to the children. The children subordinate. The parents are the authority. Which one did he speak to first? Then when it comes to the employer-employee relationship, he said, servants, uh, be obedient to your masters. The servant is the subordinate. Then he talks to the masters, and he says, submit back to the employee. And the master is the authority. In every case. Now, listen. Uh, we don't have time to do a study on all this, but I want you to listen to this carefully. In Colossians, the same relationships are discussed again. Here's what it says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as a fit in the Lord. The wife is the subordinate. And then it says in the next verse, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. The husband is the authority. Again, which one did he speak to first? Do you see it? All right. And then we go, children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The next verse. And so the children are the subordinate. Then he says in verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The father is the authority. Which one did he speak to first? And then he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Talks to them about four verses. Then it says this, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal. He speaks to the masters or the authority second. I got a crisp $100 bill I'll give to the first person that can come up here and show me where these relationships are discussed in the King James Bible where God did not speak to the subordinate first and then the authority. And I wouldn't have written the Bible that way if I'd have been God. It's a good thing that I'm not God and it's a good thing you're not God. If I'd have been writing the Bible, I'd have spoke to the authority first. I'd have said to the husband, look, if you're going to love this woman, if she's going to submit to you, you're going to have to love her, and you're going to have to lead her. You're the authority. I'd have preached to him first. Then I'd have run around and say, wife, now you see what a husband you've got. Submit to it. That makes sense to me. It didn't to God. He never wrote it that way. And then I, if I'd have been talking about the parent-child relationship, I'd have, said, I'd have said to the daddies, look, 
Set the example. You expect these children to love you and submit to you, you're going to have to be a servant to these children and love them and teach them and help them and spend time. And then I'd run around and say, children, you see what parents you got now? Submit. That makes sense to me. God never, ever, ever wrote it that way. If I'd have been writing the Bible, I'd have spoke to the boss man first, and I said, look, why don't you get the heart of these people, and why don't you teach them how to work, and why don't you... And then I'd have run around and said to the employees, now you see what a boss man I've given you? Now sub submit to him. That's the way I would have written the Bible, but God never wrote it that way. And he had a reason, and here's why. If the subordinate does not submit first, the follower becomes the leader, and the leader becomes the follower. And the home is out of order, and the marriage is out of order, and the children's out of order, and the church is out of order, and the government's out of order, and that's why we're out of order. But there's a deeper reason, and it, that's the one I'm preaching to you about tonight. The deeper reason is this. The deeper reason is God built into every one of us the spirit of submission that only responds to that order. If the subordinate submits to authority, God puts something in the authority to want to submit back. If a wife pushes on a husband, there's something inside of a man that will push back. If a child pushes against a parent, there's something inside of a parent that will push back. If an employee pushes against his boss man, there's something inside of a boss man that will push back. God built, but if, if, and so God built into every one of us a spirit of submission that only works in that order. Now, what about this? Look, you go throughout the King James Bible anywhere, anywhere. For instance, uh, let's look at these one by one now, and, and, and we'll get into the preaching here now. It's going to get a little more intense as we go along. But um, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, now listen to what he says here. He says, he starts out the chapter and he says, likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Who's he talking to first? The subordinate. And he talks to them, uh, ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, holy, even as holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husband. So now he, he gives about six verses here of a wife submitting to her husband. She is the subordinate. He's speaking to her first, just like I said, anywhere in the Bible. Then he says, likewise ye husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together with the grace. Who did he speak to first? He always speaks to the subordinate first simply because that's the way you unlock the submission causes submission uh, relationship that puts us in a heaven on earth right here on this earth. Now, let me illustrate. One of the greatest speakers in all, lady speakers has ever been on planet earth is Mrs. Kathy Rice. And she's in heaven now, and Brother Bill's in heaven. Well, I think Kathy Rice died, didn't she? I'm talking about the, the one that started the Bill Rice Ranch. I think she's gone, isn't she? Does anybody know? She is. I thought she was. And uh, so, but anyway, Mrs. Rice spoke to hundreds of ladies. She spoke to hundreds of ladies every summer there. And uh, years ago, we'd take busloads to the Bill Rice Ranch uh, from uh, when I was youth director at the home church in North Carolina. And uh, Ms. Rice was speaking to a large group of ladies there one morning, and this happened two or three times, but she was speaking to a large group of ladies. And here's what she said, <coughs> I always do <coughs> everything my husband tells me to do, and I always do it with the right attitude. Now, we don't know how many, but we know there was one woman sitting there, and she was one of these bossy, run-the-home kind of women, and that's 
that singed her tail feathers. I mean, that ran her blood pressure up. That, I, mean, that, I mean, that really increased the heart rate. And she was sitting there, here's what she said inside. Number one, she's a liar. I don't believe her. I don't believe she always does everything her husband wants her to do. And I dead sure don't believe she always does it with the right attitude, and I'm going to catch her. And later that day, she went up to Dr. Rice. She said, Dr. Rice, your wife's quite a lady speaker. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I wish you could have known Dr. Rice. That big old tall Texan, he didn't just find the hat. He was a genuine cowboy, and I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, and, uh, and she said to Dr. Rice, said, uh, uh, Dr. Rice, your wife's quite a lady speaker. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. He said, you know what your wife taught the ladies this morning? Have no idea. I trust her with that. Your wife taught the ladies that she always did everything you wanted her to do, and she always did it with the right attitude. Then, and he looked down and he chuckled. He said, well, <clears throat> she didn't quite tell the whole truth. Whoa, it tickled her to death. I caught her, I caught her, I caught her. Boy, she couldn't wait to run out and tell all the women she's blowing smoke. She don't. And then he continued. He said, not only does she always do everything I want her to do, and not only does she always do it with the right attitude, but I, too, always do everything she wants me to do, and I always do it with the right attitude. Now, you listen to this Baptist preacher. I've got my finger right now on the button I can push and turn any marriage in this room into a heaven owner. When you get a woman that always does everything her husband wants her to do and always does it with the right attitude, and because she has that man has yielded back to her to always do everything she wants him to do and always does it with the right attitude. Friend, until you walk on those streets of gold through those pearly gates in heaven, you're not going to get any closer to heaven than that. You can believe me because I know my wife and I are living this out. I wish she was here. I've never preached this when she wasn't here. And I, I, I preach it often, but I don't, I've never preached it without her because she's always with me. And I'm going to tell you something. You listen to this Baptist preacher. I got my finger right now on the button that I can push. Hey, <clears throat> a lady heard this. Uh, by the way, it was a woman in my church, a bus worker, a Sunday school teacher, a soul winner, faithful to church. And <clears throat> this lady and her husband, her, her husband drove a bus, and they were faithful, and they were, uh, they raised their family. And, uh, and she, she heard this sermon. She came to me, and she said, uh, Pastor Brown, uh, that's a wonderful sermon. I said, thank you, ma'am. She said, but it wouldn't work in our marriage. I said, really? She said, no, it wouldn't work in our marriage. I said, would you please tell me why it wouldn't work in your marriage? She said, why wouldn't it work in my marriage? She said, Pastor, look, he's wanting to go buy a luxury car right now. A luxury car. Pastor, we're trying to make house payments. I mean, when we take our salary, when we take what we've got, and we pay groceries, and we, we make house payments, and make payment on the pitiful car we do have. And when we, when, when we meet our obligation, giving God first what belongs to him, the tithe and the offering, she said, Pastor, we can't put another dollar in our budget. And him wanting to go buy a luxury car, if I just say, okay, you're the head of the home, you're the leader, just go ahead. If he buys that luxury car, we'll lose our house. We'll go broke. And uh, I said, well, uh, you wouldn't go broke but once. He'd get the idea. Ooh. She, she didn't get mad. Honest, she didn't. She has a sweet lady, a Christian lady, and I, I wanted to be right with the Lord. She said, but pastor. I said, but what? I said, when are you going to just do it like God said do it? 
When are you going to just break down and do it like obey your husband, like God says obey? And why don't you try it and see what happens? But I said, but what? Three weeks later, she came to me. It worked. It worked. It worked. I said, tell me about it. She said, well, we were sitting at the breakfast table, and I, I never told him we talked at all. And she said, I brought it up to him again. Um, I said, hey, when are you going to buy the car? He said, what? When are you going to buy that luxury car? He said, but I thought, she said, buy it. I can tell you want it. Buy it. If, I mean, you, if you feel we need to buy the car and can buy the car, buy it. I'll never say a word. I'll never open my mouth about it, irregardless of how it all comes out. And in so many words, here's what she said to him. Who do you think I am, the boss around here anyway? Not my job to tell you whether we can buy a car or whatever we can do. Buy it. He just stared at her. Twenty-some years, he'd never heard anything like that in his life. He said, are you kidding? She said, no. Get it. You realize how long it's been since we had a new car? Man, I'd be a prettier woman in that car. Buy it. Buy it. He just stared at her. Two weeks later, she hadn't heard a word. She brought it up to him again. What about the car? He said, well, um, yeah, I want to buy the car. Uh, but he said, you know, I don't know what, I've been doing some figuring. If we buy that car, I don't know how we can make house payment. No, you got to be kidding. Come on. Hey, do you realize what's happened here? Here is a woman who has discovered a husband she's been looking for for years. Here is a woman that's got a husband that's not a leader, and he's not going to be a leader. And God Almighty can't make him a leader because she had him short-circuited between him and God. So he didn't need to be a leader because she was the leader. He didn't need to worry about whether it would be health for the family to buy a, a luxury car or not. He didn't have to worry about it because she was going to control whether it was bought or not. But when she got out of the way and she turned that old boy loose before God Almighty to make some decisions that heads of homes and leaders of homes make, he started thinking serious thoughts that responsible men think. Say amen right there. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. You know, hey, a lady heard this truth. And she was in a service like this, and she had a husband. I'm telling you, she had a You know, men come in all kinds and grades. She had a husband that started everything and finished nothing. She had a husband. He would buy these old junker cars and go and fix them up and sell them. The front yard looked like a junkyard. She wasn't raised that way. Her daddy kept a neat place. You know, she, she wasn't used to it. Drove her crazy. I mean, there was trees growing up through them and everything. I mean, you know, and, and she, and I mean, she nagged, 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 nagged. Boy, I mean, she smoked up the windows in a two-story house, you know. Boy, she was mad about it. She nagged so much. She was like one woman nagged so much. She nagged her husband so much, he finally died. His name was Walter, and she had put on the tombstone, Here lies Walter. May he rest in peace until we meet again. Nag, 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 nag. But one night in a service like this, she got under conviction. And she came to the altar and she began to cry. And she went home and said, sit down. And he sat down. And she said, she said, I've made our marriage a hell on earth over it. Another thing, he was going to remodel the bedroom. He had a pile of two-by-fours three and a half feet tall against her bed. Every night she had to climb over two-by-fours to get in her bed. And boy, I'm telling you, she never let him hear the end of it. And I mean, and he, he wouldn't finish nothing. 
And she said, I've made our marriage a hell on earth over two by fours and junk cars sitting in your front yard. And I got under conviction tonight. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm married to a man. I'm married to a man that for 21 years has brought home a paycheck. I'm married to a man that for 21 years has been a good Christian man and been good to me and my children and other women down there. Their husbands left them sitting high and dry to raise their families by themselves. And yet you have been faithful to me. And not one time in 20 years have you ever cut your eyes toward one of these little miniskirt-wearing, hip-hugging husbands with so much green eyeshadow on looks like a gallbladder busted. Not one time in 20 years. And I've made our marriage a hell on earth over two by fours and junk cars. And I want you to know I'm sorry. And I want you to forgive me. And Hold it. Guess what happened in less than seven days? How many of you men know what happened in less than seven days? Or you could guess, raise your hand, huh? Huh? Sure you do. Hands going up. Do you know why? Because you're a man. And you know men. And you know you don't push a man to do anything. I got news for you ladies. I'm going to preach a hole through these men before this sermon's over so you can enjoy this if you want to. But I'm going to tell you this right now. You listen to me. If you're married to a man, if he's a man, and you're married to a man, you're not going to push that man to do anything. If he's a man. Now, if he's a Twinkie, you might. But if he's a man, I mean, if he wears pink lace on his little underbreeches, you might push him around. But if he's a man, if he wears white hands, you ain't going to push that boy to do anything because he's a man. Amen? But I will tell you what. You submit to that man and just stand back and watch the magic happen. Oh, yeah. And see, folks, listen to this very carefully. Um, when I got married, by the way, this sermon probably saved me from a divorce. Uh, not the sermon, but the truth of it. The sermon didn't exist. This sermon probably saved me from splitting the Marion Avenue Baptist Church a half a dozen times from get-go. Because when I got married the first time, I was 25 years old, married a 21-year-old girl, 20-year-old, young, wonderful Christian girl in the church there. I want you to know I was a blood and fire fundamentalist. And I want you to know, I, like Abraham of old, I was going to command my children and my household after me, and they were going to keep the ways of the Lord going to tell that woman what to do and she's going to obey me and then I married her and I was going to tell her but she messed me up just before just before I started telling her what I wanted her to do she submitted to me 100% mind soul body and spirit and made it verbally and otherwise known that she wanted to do everything I wanted her to do. She took the wheels off my wagon. Pastor, how are you going to boss somebody like that? What are you going to tell them to do? They're already wanting to do everything in the world you want them to do. She took the wheels off my wagon. And that's not all. As if that isn't bad enough, I caught myself saying, well, honey, wait a minute. If you're going to crawl for me, what can I do for you? We entered into a relationship of submission, cause of submission, that for 39 years, God blessed us. We got seven children. I'll give you their telephone numbers. You call them, and they'll tell you that their mom and daddy loved each other and would, would do anything in the world for each other because, let me tell you, that woman changed my heart, and she changed my spirit. Let me tell you, I was the kind of preacher. When I took a pastor at Marion Avenue, 
first and only church I ever pastored down here in Washington out. And when I took that church, I want you to know, I was going to tell them people what to do, and they were going to do it, and it's my way or the highway, and if you don't like it, there's the door. You don't push sheep. They don't push well. You can lead them, but you can't push them. I'm still a blood and fire fundamentalist. There's nothing changed about me. You hang around, you'll find it out. But here, I want to tell you something, friend. Did you know that because my people, I submitted to my people, they submitted back to me, and I want you to know for 39, 38 years I pastored them. We had a wonderful love relationship, and God blessed that church, and it grew to hundreds and hundreds. Of, there's no telling how many I had this morning, every Sunday uh, in this world. Now, here's what I'm saying. Um, I'm just saying this. You see, when I married Rhonda a little over 10 years ago, I had seven children. And uh, so um, my daughter Sarah, Rhonda went to her, my second oldest daughter. She had just met her when we got married, of course. She went to her and she said, Sarah, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up your mother and I'm going to thank her for so submitting to your father that it changed him into the type of person that he is. You see, I've been in this business a long time and it's something you only learn through the years. And one of the things that I've learned through the years is when you come to churches like this one and you look at what looks like good marriages and good homes, don't be deceived. All that glitters is not gold. I'm done told you something. All that glitters is not gold. Um, <laughs> one lady said, honey, look at that couple over there. You can just look at them and tell they're in love and they've got a wonderful marriage. She said, don't be so sure. They may be saying the same thing about us, you know. All that glitters is not gold. Well, like one, one, and by the way, here is the secret. Here is the secret. Uh, and by the way, look, here's the thing. I can still be the big fat boss if I want to. I can tell that woman what to do and she'll do it. But duh, why would I do that? The woman's already wanting to do everything I want her to do. That would be stupid for me to do that. I can do it, but I don't need to do it. What are you going to do when I tell you? Well, she's already let me know that. I mean, hello? I've got my finger right now on the button that I can push. And I'm talking about submission, ladies. I know I'm, I'm preaching up your alley a little bit, but I, I'm going to, the tables are turning in about four minutes, three minutes. I'm telling you something, ladies. I'm, I, I done told you the secret. And I'm talking about submission. I'm not talking about uh, some of this uh, playing a little game. I don't mean what one woman said when she said, George, why is it every time I decide I'm going to be submissive to you, you start telling me what to do. I'm not talking about that kind of submission. And somebody said, well, Brother Brown, okay. But what if I submit to him and he does not submit back to me? Well, in that case, you can just go right out and get yourself another husband. Now, your pastor just had a coronary. And he's thinking, oh, Lord, help us. 
I thought this brown guy was straight. He must have gone bonkers since I saw him because he just got up and told my women if they submit to their husbands, the husbands don't submit back, they can just go right out and get theirself another husband. Yep, that's what I said. You say, you got the Bible for that? I sure do. For if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law so that she is no adulterer, though she be married to another man. You say, but he's not dead. He's going to be. Because I'm going to tell you something. Now, you can laugh, fellas, but if you listen to me, if you have a wife that already has or decides tonight to submit to you in the Bible way and just do what God says do because of choice, you listen to this Baptist preacher, you're sitting on the greatest treasure that you could have on planet Earth outside of your salvation. And when God gives you that treasure and you, have, you will automatically have an inclination like I did to submit back to that woman, to love her, cherish her, and be everything that, that, that you, she needs you to be. And if you like a horse, take the rider, the bit in your mouth, and run against the rider, and you're so satanically self-centered, stubborn, that you're not willing to obey this inclination God put into you, you're going to get God in the killing mood. That's what you're going to do. You're going to wrap your little fort around somebody's oak tree late some night, and God's going to snatch you up to heaven. And when you get up to heaven, you're going to look down in about two years from now and see your wife married to somebody else that's a whole lot smarter than you are, probably richer than you are, got a whole lot more brains than you got, and he's going to be, he's going to be living in the house with your wife, and he's going to be driving your car. He'll probably be fishing with your fishing uh, rods and golfing with your golf clubs. And you're going to realize what an idiot you've been. There is no telling how many men I have buried preachers, who, I, I mean people in churches that I have preached to and then preached their funerals because their wives submitted to them and they would not submit back. But let me tell you something, folks. This is the most serious thing on planet Earth. And, uh, and so what if I submit to him? You know what? I was preaching this in Rochester, New York years ago, and I preached this sermon, and the altars were full. And uh, I said, uh, I said um, the pastor said, we're going to dismiss service. Man, what a wonderful service we've had. And he said, uh, just before we dismiss, anybody have anything you want to say? Good-sized church. And a 52-year-old woman in the back said, Pastor, may I say something? He said, yes, ma'am, you may say something. She said, I've been married and divorced twice. She said, I could have saved either one of those marriages if I'd only heard the truth I heard tonight. I tried to push those men to be what they ought to be. It did not work. I was preaching this in another state, and a woman came up to me. She said, put my name on the list. I said, what list? She said, the list of those women who lost their husbands because they tried to push them to be what they ought to be. It didn't work. It's not going to work. That's not the way to make a marriage work. Submission is the answer, not pushing. Yeah. I, I was preaching in Arkansas and in a, in a Baptist church, and uh, little did I know there was a man and his wife who was an independent Baptist preacher and had pastored a church near there, and they had several little small children, and they were split up. And the man had resigned his church because of his marital situation, and I was preaching in a nearby church. That woman and her children was in the service. And I preached this sermon, and when I gave the invitation, she came, there was a line of people. One woman came through, a 50-ish woman. She said, I've got to go straight and call my daughter. I've been giving her the wrong advice. I've got to go straight and call her. Right behind her was this pastor's wife. She said, my husband is an independent Baptist preacher. We're split up. And she said, I saw it tonight. I saw it tonight. I wouldn't submit to him. 
and we were in a deadlock. She said, I saw it. I don't care who you are. I'm talking about it will work. It will work. It will work. Now, wait a minute. Uh, some of you men are in danger now. You're in danger now. Um, the greatest treasure you've got is your wife. And if you don't submit back, uh, you know, I was preaching this in Texas, and a fellow came up to me and said, I've been a lawyer in this town for 27 years. And he said, uh, I had a wife that submitted to me just like you preached tonight, and I did not submit back to her. I would not. I was too stubborn. I said, yeah. And he said, God didn't kill me. He did something worse than that. I said, what's that? He said, God looked down, and he said to my wife, you don't have to put up with that. I'll take you to where everybody loves everybody. I'll take you to where love is supreme and the flowers never cease to bloom. And he, and he said, God took my wife to heaven, and I've got the rest of my life to think about it. Fellas, this is serious, serious business, and you need to understand that. And the Bible is very strong about that. Submission causes submission in the marriage relationship. Real quickly now. Submission causes submission in the parent-child relationship. You notice there in our text, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then it says, and ye fathers provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged, uh, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see that in the text there. Who did he speak to first? He spoke to the children. And he told the children to submit to the parents. And then the parents submit to them. Look, if a child, look, I raised seven children. And no kid ever walked over me and not going to. But you let one submit to me, and I become a wimp. I mean, I just become a wimp. Um, I, I could tell you, I came in one day. Daniel, my son Daniel, he was only eight years old at the time. He come roaring up with his balling glove, and he said, Dad, would you play some catch with me? I said, son, I'd love to, but I got to go on visitation. I, I've only got just a... a 10 minutes to change clothes and get gone. But I said, it's summertime. Don't get dark till about 9.15. I believe I'll get home in time we can play something. Is that okay? He said, yeah, that's fine. So I went in the house, and I went up and up the steps to the upper bedroom, and I went through the bedroom door. And as I did, uh, I turned around to close the door, and he was leaning against the door facing with his ball and glove in his hand, and he said, Dad, it's all right. I said, what's all right? He said, it's all right that you don't pitch ball with me because you do. Nobody in the world spends more time with their children than you do, Dad. You not only pitch ball with me, but you take me fishing, and you take me camping. And, uh, and, and Dad, what other daddy takes a whole day every week just with his children? It's okay if you don't pitch ball with me, because you do, and you spend a lot of time with our family. And I want you to know it's okay, and I don't want you to feel bad. And he said, besides that, soul winning is far more important than pitching ball. What are you going to do with a kid like that? How many of you men know what you're going to do with a kid like that? Raise your hand. Sure. All these men raising their hand. You know why? Because they're men. Hey, I let the sinners go to hell all afternoon. I just pitched ball with that boy. He forced me. He submitted to me. He forced me to... Look, I came in one time. My wife loves this one best of all. I came in one time. My oldest daughter at that time, Joanna, and your pastor's... Uh, pastor and his wife knows Joanna well, and she came running up to me. She was always a little whippoorwill, wasn't big as a, wasn't big as a, a broomstick. And she came up to me and still clicked her little heels together. Five years old, she said, "Dad, Mom says you're going uh, soul winning today." I said, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "Don't you think it's about my turn to go?" I'd always take one of them. Don't you think it's about my turn? I said, "Yes, ma'am, it is." But Dad's got a problem. Yeah, what's that? 
I said, Daddy's going today where they drink liquor. That's where he is. I said, Daddy's going today where big old men with no shirts on their bellies hanging over their belt walking around with beer sitting everywhere and cussing. And I said, I don't think it'd be a good time for a little girl to go. I said, but it is your turn. And the next time I take somebody, you're up. You're the one. Okay. I went upstairs, and I got dressed. I came back down. I was in a hurry. I started to go out the door, and she was sitting there beside the door on a chair, dressed Sunday morning fit to keep. Patent leather shoes. Just sitting there like this. I just looked down at her. She looked up and said, now, Dad, don't think you got to take me with you just because I got dressed this way. Because you're going today where it's not good to take a little girl. Cussing. Big old fat men with no shirts on their bellies hanging over their belts. Uh, but you have been known to change your mind. And in case this is one of those times when you change your mind, I just wanted to be dressed so you wouldn't have to wait for me. What are you going to do with a girl like that? You can't whip her. She hasn't done anything wrong. How many of you ladies know what you're going to do with a girl like that? Raise your hand. I let the drunks go to hell all afternoon. I went and visited elderly people, nice people, just so I could take her and get her the ice cream cone that she was after anyway. That's why they wanted to go, to get an ice cream cone. I knew that. You think these children are all so spiritual? No. They want to have fun, and there's nothing wrong with that at five years old. And I took her with me, and she forced me. Let me tell you something. That girl could have said, Dad, it was my turn, and you wouldn't take me. She could have fussed with me till I grew whiskers on the back of my neck. I'd have never took that girl because no kid's going to walk over me, and when they start pushing on me, I'm going to push back. Would you let one of them submit to me? And Hey, wait a minute. Let's have some fun right now. I want every child and young person in this room, and there's a bunch of them, that's at least seven years of age through 20, still single and still at home, stand up. I mean, get on your feet, hurry up, hurry up, hurry, every single one of them, stand up. God, look at him. you didn't know there was that many. We got some over here to the right, some over here. That's right, stand up, stand up, stand up. Now, wait a minute, look at me. I don't know which one of you there is, but some of you are raising bad parents. You are not bringing up your parents in the way they should go. You say, what the thunder are you talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. You're pushing on your parents, and they're pushing back. And when they push back, it's not right. And I know what some of you sitting here thinking, okay, preacher, go ahead and preach this at church, but you don't have to go home and live with my parents. My mother, she gets angry at me, she could choke me. And my daddy, he's furious. And it's not right, preacher. I agree with you. It's not right. It don't matter what you do, they have no right to act unchristian. And the next time I come in a separate sermon, I'll preach a whole through them. But now, wait a minute. Hold the phone. You're causing it. You're causing it. Here's what's happening. You're pushing against your parents, and they're pushing back. And you know, some girl here said, well, I, I don't want to dress like a street-walking prostitute. I want to dress right, but my parents are too overly. I'm going to really throw you into shock. You might be right again. They may be too overly. Because here's what happens. When you push on your parents, they push back. And sometimes parents push back further than they should. Are you with me? I'm not justifying it. I'm not justifying any wrong thing your mom and daddy does. But I'm saying you instigated it. 
You started it. I dare you. I dare you, young men. I double-dog dare you to go to your daddy in the morning and say, Now, Dad, look, this is not rock music, nor is it Christian rock music, but if this is not the kind of music you think I ought to listen to, I'm going to throw it in the trash can. I dare you to do it, young men, and just see what happens to your daddy. And when he does that, Daddy, you better watch. You won't even pay attention to what the boy listens to from then on. If something magic will happen to you, you'll submit to that kid when he submits to you. Hey, I dare you, young ladies. I dare you. I double-dog dare you to go to your daddy tomorrow and say, Now, Dad, look, I'm a woman and you're a man. And me, women don't think the same as men when it comes to dress standards. And you can say amen to that. Now, Dad, look, you know what I don't know. Matter of fact, you know what mama don't know because mama's never been a man and she's never had a man's brain inside of her head. So you tell me, I don't want men and boys looking at me and thinking dirty thoughts. And if you think this dress is too low cut right here, you let me know. I won't wear it anymore. If you think it's too tight or too short or too provocative, I won't wear it anymore. I dare you, I double dog dare you to do that and just see what happens to your daddy. And by the way, if she does that, dad, you better watch what you're doing. You'll be letting the girl wear stuff she shouldn't even wear because something magic will happen to you. God activates a spirit of submission in your heart when that happens and submit back. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. Uh, I came in one day and uh, uh, my oldest daughter was my secretary at 15. She was carrying a full load at school. She was homeschooled, carrying a full load at school. And, uh, and she was my secretary in a church running company. And she, I was, well, actually, I was in a meeting in Florida. She called me. She said, Dad, that, those uh, CDs you brought in last week from that meeting you was in down in the Carolinas, she said, uh, that music, uh, she said, I wonder, can I listen to that? I said, honey, I don't have time to listen to this music. Some of it's very good music. Old school Southern gospel music's wonderful. I love it. But some of this new boogie-woogie platform showmanship stuff, not fit for a hound dog to listen to it. So, I, I, honey, I don't, I don't have time to listen to it. Well, she said I did, and she said you would welcome every song on those CDs in your pulpit except two. Two of them are a little too boogie-woogie, as you say. But the reason I'm calling you, I'm asking you, if I promise to skip over those two, may I listen to that music? Now, before I tell you what I told that girl, young ladies, I want to remind you that I had a daughter that called me 1,500 miles to ask permission to do something she could have done 50 times and I'd have never known she did it. Now, keep that in mind as I tell you that I told that girl, I said, Honey, I don't have time to listen to that music. If you feel it's good music, uh, if you feel it's something the Lord be pleased with you listening to, listen to it. If you don't, throw it in the trash can. You know what you'll do? you go home tonight. Mom, did you hear what he told his daughter? He told his daughter she could just listen to any kind of music that she wanted to as long as she felt it was good music. Yes, ma'am, I did. And I'll tell you something else. If you were as submissive to your mom and daddy as that girl was to me, they wouldn't be worried about what you listen to either. They wouldn't be worried at all about... Look, hey... Uh, I came in one day, and my daughter Sarah, excuse me, my daughter Rachel, she said, Dad, she said, you said when we turned 18, we could drive out of town. I let them drive before they were 18, but they couldn't drive out of town. That's just a rule we had. I'm not, I don't think it would necessarily be a rule for your family, but it was for ours. That's just, and she said, um, 
uh, you said when we turned 18, we could drive out of town. I said, yes, ma'am, that's what I said. She said, I am now 18. I said, yeah, I know. I went to your birthday party last night. You are now 18. I, I, she said, Dad, I need to run up to Cedar Rapids and pick up something. Now, from where we lived in, in south of Washington, Iowa, is 67 miles to where she wanted to go here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And she said, I need to run up there and pick up one thing. I'll be right back. I'm telling you where I'm going. That's the only place I'm going. I'm coming right back. And you said we could drive out of town when we turned 18. I said, yes, ma'am, that's what I said. But I said, honey, we got a problem. She said, what's that? I said, it's one hour before dark on Friday night. And you got to cross three county lines getting to Cedar Rapids. You got to leave Washington County, coming through Johnson County, coming on up here in Lynn County. And I said, honey, you got two hours of darkness to come back in. And I said, if you knew how many boys and men there were out there just watching for a pretty little girl, and they put our county names on our license tag, so everybody knows where that car's from. They know where that girl's from. And I said, if you knew how many men and boys there are out there on a Friday night in dark and see a pretty little teenage girl riding along, I said, honey, if she could tell us about to say no. And she said, Dad, look, it's okay. It's all right. If you don't want me to go, I said, hold it. I do want you to go. But it's dangerous, honey. She said, I know. I understand that now. I said, look. I said, she said, now, it, it's okay, Dad. You, you don't have to. If you don't want me to go, I said, stop. Quit saying that. I do want you to go. It's just dangerous. She said, fine. It's okay. I said, you can drive out of town. You're 18, but not two hours of darkness on a Friday night by yourself. She said, I understand. And I looked at her, and she was so sweet and submissive. I know I shouldn't have, parents. I know I shouldn't have. But I looked at her, and I said, okay, you can go. Oh, take her to bed. She went upstairs, and she got something ready, and she came back. And she, uh, she, I'm pouring cereal or something in the kitchen there. And she said, Dad, you sure it's okay if I go? I said, yes. And she goes up, she gets some other stuff ready, and she comes back. And she said, Dad, are you sure it's okay if I go? I said, yes. And she goes up, she gets some other stuff ready, and she comes back. And she's, Dad, are, are, by the way, a woman never goes anywhere. They just get ready to go somewhere. Do you ever notice that, men? I mean, whether it's your daughters or your wife, they don't ever go anywhere. They just get ready to go somewhere. And the third time she came back, she said, Dad, are you sure? I said, girl. Don't you think I got enough guts to say no to you when I want to? She said, I know you do. I said, well, why do you keep asking me? It's getting late, honey. If you're, I told you you could go. If you're going to go, go. The quicker you get out, the quicker you get back, the less darkness you have. I said, why do you keep asking me? And she looked at me, and she said, Dad, I'm going to tell you exactly why I keep asking you. I keep asking you because I don't want to sit in a wheelchair with both of my legs cut off from a car wreck. I would have never been in had I not pushed a daddy to do what he didn't feel bad for me to do. I walked over with tears in my eyes, and I said, girl, your daddy loves you. She said, dad, I love you too. Now, I don't want it to be wrong. I want to do the right thing. I said, honey, you bleed wanting to do the right thing. You, you exude wanting to do the right thing. You don't just make it known with your mouth. You make it known with your spirit. You, you want to please daddy, and you want to please God, and you want to be right with God, and you want to be submitted in the areas you should be. And I love you to death, and I got my nose about touching hers, and I looked in her God-given eyeballs, and I said, girl, let me tell you something. I put a fatherly kiss on her cheek, and I said, you get yourself in that car and get out of here. He said, okay. 
and she took off. The, you, you know how it is, parents. You fall on your face and pray they don't get raped or killed before they get home. You know, you, you've been there, done that. Hey, Daniel called me one day, 15 years old. Daniel. And he said, Dad, I just had a thought. And I thought to myself, well, it's a wonderful thing when a 15-year-old boy has a thought. I mean, just a wonderful thing. And he said, no, I'm serious, Dad, serious. I said, he said, Dad, I have never been golfing in my life. I said, well, don't feel bad. I never have either. Yeah, I got a 15-year-old kid. I've never been on a golf course. I never had been. Heard a lot about it, but I never went. He said, someday on your day off, would you take me golfing? I don't know why I did it. Sometimes you wonder why you do things as a parent. It's the middle of the week, middle of the week. I said, yeah, I will. As a matter of fact, be ready in 20 minutes. I'll be home in 15. I'll put my jeans on and we'll go find a golf course and we'll do whatever they do on golf courses. He said, what? I said, you heard me, boy. You don't have long to get ready. I walked in 15 minutes later. His mother came to me. She said, that, you have tore him all to pieces. I said, what did I do? She said, the boy's got tears in his eyes. He said, Daddy don't have time to take me golfing. He's too busy. He's got a church running hundreds. It's the middle of the week. And just because I asked him to take me sometime, he's coming straight home now to take me golfing. Oh, by the way, the little girl that, oh, and I forgot to tell you something about the little girl who was sitting there dressed with patent leather shoes. She said, you have been known to change your mind. Why are you going to resist a girl like that? You know what I said? Well, okay, let's go. And I went and visited some nice people just to take her because she melted my heart through her submission. And we went out and got in the car, and I set her on three Sears and Roebuck catalogs just so she could see over the dash. She's a tiny little bird. And, and, I, and I had her all strapped in, and I started the car, and I backed out of the garage. It was the spring of the year. My wife was planting the things you plant early, radishes and onions and lettuce. And she was down in that aisle of black dirt, and she was working in the dirt. And she heard the car start up, and as I was backing out, she ran over and set her hoe down right at the edge of the garage. And as I backed out, she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at Joanna and just grinning. And Joanna was grinning back. And I said to Joanna, what's your mother grinning so funny for? She said, because Mama told me how to get it done. <laughs> Mama knew how to get it done. Because Mama had already got it done with me. Because Mama understood men. And Mama understood you don't push men to do anything. All you do is create strife. But you submit to them. And she taught her daughters to me. I got five girls married to five husbands that, that love the fire out of them. They have wonderful marriages. Every single one of them. And my boys the same way. Because Mama told them how to get it done. They watched Mama get it done. And, and, and I knew what they were doing, and I didn't care. It's the Bible. It's the right way. Yeah. Young people, my best friend you got tonight, I didn't come here to pick on you. And I think you can tell by now, I'm not throwing rocks at you. I'm telling you the key. And, and I'm telling you, look, if you can't get this fixed tonight, you can't have a happy marriage. There's no way. There's no way. You, you cannot have a happy marriage if you don't get this fixed tonight. And by the way, that's why, Mama, you got to submit so they can get it fixed tonight. Thank you. You may be seated. Yeah. Now, I don't have time to deal with the rest of it. Oh, by the way, I have preached. It's 733. Why aren't you wiggling? Shame on you. Don't you know when a service ought to end? 
Let me just touch one point here. We're going to move to the last and be done. Uh, the employee-employee relationship. It says, servants, be obedient to your masters. Then it says, masters, do the same unto them. Now, wait a minute. Hold the phone. Submission causes submission in the workplace. Some of you might have known Charlie Fryermuth. Charlie Frymouth was the best soul winner in my church. He was like Carl Hatch number two. He had children, went to Howells Anderson College and another college. And he was, he, he and Barb Day, were, listen, they never missed soul winning. And they were soul winning all during the week. And Charlie was a purchasing agent for United Technologies in Iowa City who made side panel parts and dash parts for GM, General Motors. He had a very important position. He said he had a Learjet at his disposal. He didn't fly the thing, but he could pick up a phone and then a special order GM had for a certain amount of side panels, and he had ordered 10 pounds of tiny little screws, and he knew what to order, when to order, to have it there, but if he didn't get it there in time, the line shut down, and it cost money, big money. One day, Charlie goofed. I'll never forget him telling this. He said, I got word the big man, from, the line shut down. He said, I, I got word from, De from Detroit that the big man was flying down to talk to me, and I knew my job was on the line. He said, I told the secretary, when he gets here, tell him, uh, buzz me. In a little bit, he landed his private Learjet there in Iowa City on the runway, and they picked him up and brought him straight to the office. Secretary buzzed him and said, Charlie, the man sitting here in my office, he said, send him in. Guy walked in. Charlie stood up. He said, sir, sit down. Well, I'm sure he's thinking, who are you telling me to sit down? And Charlie sat down. I mean, the man sat down. And Charlie leaned over the desk, and he said, hey, fella, you didn't have to fly from Detroit down here to fire me. You could have fired me from up there. Do you know what you did? You hired a goofball. In case nobody showed you, I'd like to show you what I've cost your company. The line shut down because I didn't get the parts here in time. I didn't mean to, sir, but you don't build a company on good intentions. You build a company on good performance. And in so many words, he told him, said, if I were you, I'd fire me and get somebody in here that could do the job. There is a world out there that don't know how to handle that. Yeah, they don't know what to do with it. I said, Charlie, what did he say? Charlie said, he, he, he looked like you shot him. He, he just blubbered around a little bit and stood up and said, Charlie, you've been making good money for this company for good years. Keep up the good work. Got on his jet and flew back to Detroit. And Charlie stayed there and retired. And boys, hey boys, hey boys, you're going to like this. The day he retired, he went out and bought the biggest Hummer they make. Put every bell, horn, and buzzer on it that you can put on it. Because submission causes submission. I'll give you other illustrations when I'm close with the last point. You've been very good. You sat here a long time, folks. Shame on you. Uh, but anyway, I close with this point right here. Submission causes submission in the God-child-of-God relationship. When you get down to verse 10, I'm not going to go and open the Bible show you, but I can quote it. You get down to verse 10, it says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole arm of God. It's talking about how you can submit to God. Then it tells you God will submit to you. And God wants to submit to you. But God can't submit to you till you first submit to God. You and I are the subordinate. God is the authority. And if we submit to him, he can submit back to us. Now listen. I'll give you one illustration. We'll close this service. For years, we wanted to buy the Purdock property. We were landlocked there at Marion Avenue Baptist Church. Many of you, if not most of you, have been there to our Be Alive Animal Christmas show and other things. And we, wanted to, we were landlocked. 
And we wanted to buy, we tried to buy the property where McDonald's is set now. That fell through. So we wanted to buy the rest of that block around us. And it wasn't for sale. Mr. Purdock had been there ever since he was 17. He's 80 years old. He didn't want to sell it. And I told him in his office when I went there, asked him if I could buy it. I said, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's your property. I'd keep it as long as you want to. But I walked out and thought, Lord, what are we going to do? Mr. Purdock died, and the land came up for sale. Now we've got a problem. We can't afford it. We already had some debt. We can't buy it. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. But once my people kept pushing me, Pastor, we prayed for this for years. Now it's available. We need, I said, I know it. But there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. You folks are so blessed here with this beautiful building and all this property. You don't know what the average church has to fight. And so I said, men, when you can't pay the heat bill, the treasurer don't come to you. He comes to me. <laughs> To make a long story short, they kept saying, Pastor, we need to buy the property. One Sunday night, I got up and led my church to buy that land. And, and then I preached a sermon called Going Into Canaan's Land. And I said, the giants are too big and the walls are too high and we can't do it. And then I came down to that little phrase, but if Joshua and Caleb still the people said, but if the Lord be pleased with us, he will bring us into the land. Then I said something, Pastor, that I never intended to say. Brother McCurdy, did you ever say anything in the pulpit you really didn't intend to say? Well, if not, you're going to someday. <laughs> and you're going to get home and your wife's going to say, do you know what you said in the pulpit? <laughs> I said something I never intended to say. I said something that's unprofessional. I said something that that I was told at pastor school and a hundred other places never to say in a pulpit as a pastor. I said, folks, I believe often God is pleased with me, but too often he's not. I'm your pastor, and God's too often not pleased. Oh, I don't have any ugly skeletons in the closet. I don't have wine, women, or money problems. But I said, too often I don't pray like I should. Too often I don't win souls. I, I, I could go over and talk to somebody. Too often I'm not as diligent as I should be about it. And I said, we're in trouble. We just voted to buy what we can't pay for. And the only hope we've got is if the Lord be pleased with us. And I said, I'm not right myself. And I said, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to give an invitation. Our only hope is if the Lord be pleased with us. I'm going to the altar. You can go home if you want to. I don't care. I'm going to the altar. I gave an invitation, and I walked over. Now, don't take it. I'm closing the sermon with this. Now, you, you won't forget what you hear. I came down from the pulpit about that high, and I came off, and I was kneeling about this far from the pulpit. Our auditorium wider than this auditorium. Is. I kneeled about this far from the pulpit. Well, when I did, they covered me up. I mean, altars full, people backed up aisles. I thought, good gravy. So I just, I didn't have time to pray very much. I just had time to say, Lord, I want you to have mercy on me. I want you to be more pleased with me from this night forward than you've ever been in my life. Please forgive me, Lord. And by the grace of God, I'm going to set out to correct that. And when I said that, I looked around and I saw those people. I thought, well, my soul, I got to get up and conduct this invitation. We're about to have revival here. Don't take your eyes off of me. So I'm sitting here thinking, how am I going to get back to the pulpit? There was people just everywhere. 
So I stood up, and when I did, the crowd all around me, a guy tapped me on the shoulder. I looked around into a man's face, a farmer. I knew who he was. I didn't even know he was there halfway through the song service. He was about that far away. Kind of a loud-talking guy. He said, Brother Brown? I said, yes, sir. He said, can I get up and, and share a testimony about how God will submit to you if you first submit to God? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, okay, thank you. Before I get back to the pulpit, I finished the invitation. Man, people, it was a wonderful time. And I said, oh, by the way, Brother So-and-so happened to be visiting tonight. He's only been here once or twice before. He was a faithful member of another church in another state. And I said, he wanted to give a testimony about how if you submit to God, God will submit back to you. Brother, come on, give a word. And he got up. And he said, well, I just years ago, I didn't have anything. I started giving to God, submitting to God, and God started giving back to me and submitting to me. And the more I gave, the more God gave me. The more I submitted, the more God submitted to me. And he gave us a little testimony. He said, I just wanted to share that with you. Well, I'm sitting on the platform. And while he's talking, I'm worried sick over what we just voted to do. And I'm thinking, well, whoopee, this is really going to help us a lot. He got four steps out of the pulpit. He said, oh, whoa, 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 forgot to tell you what I came up here to tell you. God laid on my heart down here a while ago to give you 50% you ever, you just voted to spend. And in 48 hours, it was in our treasury. In 48 hours. Would you like to know why? Because one slacker preacher got honest with God and honest with others and climbed down off his high horse and knelt at the altar and submitted himself to God. And it took God just about 60 seconds to tap a visitor on the shoulder and say, give these people what they need. If you had any idea what your marriage could be tonight, if you have any idea, young people, what your life could be tonight, if you had any idea how much money you could make tonight, it'll work in the work. He said, not on my boss. He's a dopehead woman. I was a casino-going idiot. I don't care. The principle is the same, and it'll work on anybody. Submission causes submission. People come up to me, I got a raise. Go, of course you did. It works. It's the only thing it'll work. If you had any idea what could happen to your marriage tonight, we're seeing things happen across this country you wouldn't believe, and I ain't going to take time to tell you. It's time to quit. Quarter to eight. Now listen to me carefully. You know what? If you had to, you'd be crawling over chairs together. If you only knew he can push the button. And by the way, some man said, well, when my wife submits to me 100%, I'm going to submit to her. You are a total idiot, sir. When that woman starts to submit to you, submit back to her, at least to the degree she submitted to you, it will encourage her. It's the right thing to do. She can't 100% submit to you. For most good women here, you, you're not, you don't have an intent to have a rebellious heart. Your mother was a good woman, a wonderful lady, but she ran the show because daddy didn't or wouldn't. And she never heard the truth you heard tonight. It's two and three generations deep. And lady, you're not going to break all that just because you come to the altar one time, but you can set out to do it. And if you see your wife heading that direction, you submit back to her and let her know, hey, it's working. It's working. If you only knew, if you only knew, parents, what could happen to your children, 
as a result of what I preached to you tonight. If you only had any idea, if you knew what God wanted to step down out of heaven and do for you, you'd be running down the aisles right now. Oh, by the way, by the way, remember what you promised God at the beginning of the service? Dear Lord Jesus, whatever you show me out of that King James Bible tonight, I will obey, and I will adjust my life accordingly starting tonight. Got a question for you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Sit there like a knot on the log and say, well, it was a good time. It was kind of an unusual sermon. We went kind of long, but you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that all you're going to do? Just walk out of here like you walked in? Are you going to say, dear God, I'm not even sure how to start, but I'm going to start. There's men in this room who don't know how to treat a woman. You don't know how to talk to a woman. Your daddy never did. He was a, come through like a bull in a china shop, and you, you're the same way. And you don't even know it. You need to start submitting. There's men in this room that's got women, wives, that has already submitted to them more than you have submitted to her. And you're in danger, sir. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And you ought to ask her to come to the altar with you, and you ought to tell her to forgive you that you, she's been more submissive to you than you have been to her. I got my finger on the button, but I can't push it for you. I pushed it for me years ago, but I can't push it for you. You're going to have to push it. Young people, did you hear what I preached to you? This is the secret. I see some girls going right there. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to do about this sermon? I've come far as I can. It's your decision. You raised your hand. You said, dear Lord Jesus, whatever you show me, what are you going to do about it? Well, I, yeah, that's what I said, but I didn't know he was going to preach on that. And God, you can have it back. I'm going to rub it back in your face, God. Is that what you're going to do? If you're going to say, live, die, sink, swim, get fat or die skinny, I'm getting down there on that altar, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to set out to do what's supposed to be done here, and you help me and give me the grace, and just watch God work. Heavenly Father, bless him this invitation. Our heads are bowed now.